Has, has anyone ever ignored a warning yes. before? We've ignored warnings before to our own peril. And uh, in our passage, um, he's going to give us a warning. He's going to give us a serious warning. And there's actually a few of these warnings in the book of Hebrews where the author kind of stops. And, and you know, so he, he stops you know, talking about how great Jesus is and, and how glorious he is. And he turns to us and he gives us a serious warning. And this is one of those passages. So warnings aren't fun, right? They're not something that you just look forward to hearing. Um, we can see often warnings as kind of getting in the way of what we want to do. You know. But we ignore those um, to our own peril, especially if it's a very serious warning. And, uh, and so these warning passages are all throughout this book. This is one of them. So we're going to look at it. And the title for the lesson today is Watch Out. Watch Out. Um, so let's go ahead and read some verses here. Um, last week we talked about how Jesus is greater than Moses. And we ended in verse 6. Remember, we talked about how Jesus was faithful over all his house as a son. Um, and then verse 6, it says, And we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. And then verse 7 begins with what word? Wherefore, therefore. So the next verses, again, we've seen this so many times already. These next verses are taken out of, they're connected to that phrase. So the last phrase is, we're his house if we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. So therefore, listen to something. All right, so let's go ahead and start reading in verse 7, and we're going to read through the end of the chapter. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, I'm sorry, uh, chapter 3, verse 7, yep. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works forty years. Therefore I was provoked with that generation, and said, They always go astray in their hearts. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have all come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt, led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for forty years? Was it not with those who sinned? whose body fe- bodies fell on the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. So in this passage, he gives us a serious warning. A serious warning. And he illustrates this warning um, to help communicate it. What is the illustration that he gives? He points to a story. What story from the Old Testament does the author point to to illustrate the warning? Did you catch it? What Old Testament story? The wandering in the wilderness. Right. He says, as the Holy Spirit says, and then he he points to Psalm 95. Psalm 95, which again, I like throwing these little nuggets in there uh, for you to log away. But uh, if if, if someone were to ask you, uh, 
does the Bible ever call itself the Word of God? Does the Bible ever consider itself to be the... Does it stay, say that it is the Word of God? Here's one passage where the author quotes a psalm, and who does he credit um, the, the writing of that psalm to? It says, the Holy Spirit says this. So, it was written by a human author, but it says the Holy Spirit says this. So, right here we have an instance of, of, um, of the, the Old Testament, or the, the Psalms being uh, authored by the Holy Spirit. Anyway, so the illustration here is the Old Testament story of those wandering in the wilderness. And the warning here is don't harden your hearts. And this story is something that the readers would be very familiar with, Right? These are Hebrew readers, so they know this story forward and backwards. In fact, you know, for, the, for, the, for, the, for the Jew, this would be like the story of deliverance. This is a story that's passed down from generation to generation. But this quote from Psalm 95, it doesn't highlight the positive aspect of this story, does it? It, it, it highlights the negative side. And, and as we, if you know the story well, right, the, the children of Israel were slaves in Egypt. And then all of Israel was delivered out of Egypt. They all come out of Egypt. And during the 40 years in the wilderness, everyone saw God's mighty acts. They enjoyed his provision. They heard his holy law. Everyone was beneficiaries of the same blessings. They all got the manna. They all got the quail to eat. They all drank the water from the rock. They all experienced God's blessing, God's guidance. They saw God's powerful works. All of these people walked through dry ground on the, in the Red Sea. And it says, but some of them put God to the test. And they hardened their hearts against the Lord. And they provoked him to anger. In, verse, in chapter 3, verse 10 of Hebrews, it says, Therefore I was provoked with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart, but they have not known my ways. I want you to notice something really interesting here. Look in verse 9, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 9. And it says, all these people, this, this generation of Israelites, in verse 9 it says, they put me to the test and they saw my works for 40 years. So in verse 9, they all saw my works, it says. Then look in verse 10. I was provoked with that generation, said they always go straight in their hearts, and they have not known my ways. Isn't that interesting? They saw his works, but they didn't know his ways. Do you know it's possible to be along for the ride, but not buy into the message? You could say this is what, what they were guilty of. These, 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 these Israelites were along for the ride, they were delivered, they were through the wilderness, they saw all God's works. But they didn't buy into the message. They didn't buy into allegiance to the Lord. They, they were blessed to see all God's mighty works, but their hard hearts rejected his ways. And the sobering result is, verse 11, they will not enter my rest. How many people who were delivered out of Egypt actually made it to the promised land? Does anyone know? None. The whole generation that came out of Egypt died in the wilderness. And the, 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 the children, the next generation, were the ones who inherited the promised land. Why did that generation that were led out of the wilderness, why did they all die in the wilderness? Because they were along for the ride, but they didn't buy into the message. 
They, didn't, they saw God's works, but they didn't know his ways. So what's God trying to help us see clearly from this story? All right? He's, he's trying to show us something. He's trying to show us that, first of all, if we're just tracking it, there were people who were delivered from Egypt who didn't make it to the promised land. All of them. Um, skip down to verses 16 and 17 of our, of our passage. Uh, here he asks some questions to make sure we get this illustration. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Who heard God's message but rebelled against it? Was it not those, all those who left Egypt led by Moses? So who rebelled? Those who experienced God's deliverance. Those who came out of Egypt. And with whom was he provoked 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? So there were these people who were delivered out of Egypt didn't make it to the promised land. And then we want to make sure we see that the reason they didn't make it to the promised land was because of the hardness of their hearts. Yes, Jaden. Can I go to the bathroom? Sure. Look in, uh, we're back down at the end of the passage. Look in verses 18 and 19. Who didn't make it? Verse 18. And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? Who, Who did he swear that to? He swore it to those who were disobedient. Okay. And, and why were they disobedient? Look in verse 19. So we see they were una- unable to enter because of what? Unbelief. Unbelief. Very good. They had, the reason they had hard hearts is because they had unbelieving hearts. So this whole illustration is connected to the phrase that we saw in verse 6. You are his house. You are his people, if we indeed hold fast to our confidence in the boasting of our hope. In other words, we looked at last week. This isn't saying that you lose your salvation. It's saying that those who have been made new, those who have been redeemed, continue believing in Christ. Those are his house. And to connect it to this illustration, those who were his people and in, 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 among the crowd that were delivered out of Egypt are those who not only saw his works, but knew his ways, believed in him. If indeed we hold fast. Just because we're along, you're along for the ride doesn't mean you've bought in to the message. Yes, sir. Yep. Yep. So you get the illustration, the picture that he's trying to paint here? What's going on in, 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 in when he's pointing to the children of Israel? This is the warning. And he says, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts like they did. Okay? And so he's using that illustration to make sure we get it. All right. So then he applies the warning. He makes sure, he makes sure that we know how does this story connect to us? How, do we, how should we process this warning? Verses 7 and 8 says this. Don't harden your hearts like they did. If you hear his voice today, don't harden your hearts. In verse 12, we see another connection, another application. Make sure you don't have an unbelieving heart like they did. Verse 12 says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. If you look down at verse 14, here's another connection point to us. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed 
we hold our original confidence to the end, unlike the people in the wilderness. And this is really a rephrasing of what we see in verse 6. We are his house if we hold fast our confidence in the boasting and our hope. Verse 14, we've come to share with Christ. We're his house if indeed we hold fast our original confidence to the end. Those whom God saves are those that continue to believe in Christ. Those who reject him, that harden their hearts, have an evil heart of unbelief, show they were never his people to begin with. They were never redeemed. They were never transformed by him. And this is a warning. He's saying, make sure this isn't you. And then let's take a quick sneak peek into chapter 4. Because this thought actually continues into the next chapter. Verses 1 through 3. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as it came to them, them meaning the people in the wilderness. Good news came to us both. But the message they heard, the people in the wilderness who had unbelieving, hardened hearts, the message they heard did not benefit them. Why didn't it benefit them? Because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest. As he said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. And so we see this tie-in. The, the warning is very clear. There are people that hear God's word, that hear God's message, that are familiar with his works, that see his mighty deeds, that, that know his law, but don't buy into it. I mean, think about it. For these people in the wilderness, they had an unbelieving heart. What were they not believing in? Was it, did they not believe God existed? I don't think so. I think they, it was pretty obvious to them God existed. Right? So this isn't saying make sure that you believe God exists. There's something different here. It's, 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 it's something more than that. It's possible to know God exists. In fact, I think that every single human on the planet has this knowledge that God is there. But they suppress it. They reject it. For them, unbelief didn't mean I'm denying God's existence. Unbelief was I'm denying his, his way. I'm going my own way. I don't care what God says. I want to do what I want to do. That's what unbelief was here. And, and this warning is make sure that's not you. In other words, God would not allow an evil, unbelieving heart that was taking advantage of his goodness and rejecting his word, to, <laughs> I didn't finish the sentence. Let me finish the sentence. This is a fill in the blank. I meant to do that. All right. Um, God would not allow an evil, unbelieving heart to expect, who's taking advantage of his goodness and rejecting his word to expect to be part of his family. Right? Just because you, you got to walk through the Red Sea, just because you got the man in the wilderness, just because you got the quail, if you have an evil, unbelieving heart that's rejecting his ways, and you know his word, but you're rejecting it, you want to do your own thing, don't expect to receive the ultimate blessing of entering his rest. Because you're showing you're actually not part of his family. Because you're along for the ride, but you haven't bought in to the message. Is that... A danger for people growing up in church. Absolutely. It is really easy to go along for the ride, but not buy into the message. This is a serious warning. It's a serious warning for me. It's a serious warning for you. Have you bought into the message of the gospel, or are you just along for the ride? 
Just like the unbelievers among the people of Israel enjoyed the benefits of being among God's people, are you simply enjoying the benefits of being part of the church? Just because you go to church doesn't mean you're part of God's family. Just because you've been baptized doesn't mean you're part of God's family. Just because you've seen God work doesn't mean you're part of God's family. Just because you've heard the gospel multiple times doesn't mean you're part of God's family. It says in in, in chapter 4, verse 2, they heard the good news just like we did, but that good news didn't benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who believed. It's possible to have all these things and still have a heart that's hardened, going astray, and unbelieving. So the question we need to ask ourselves is, are we just going along for the ride? Or when we look at the, the message of the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ, is that something that I, I have bought into? Not something I'm, okay, fine, I'll just do it, but I've bought into it, it's mine. You know, I have, I have people close to me who, if you had met them in high school, you would have been like, that's a good friend to have. You'd want to get to know them. You'd see them as a good Christian influence on your life. And you'd be so impressed with how they seem to love the Lord and serve others. In other words, they look a lot like many of you. But if you were to meet them today, you would find someone who thinks Christianity is a joke, who believes the Bible isn't true, and is living a worldly lifestyle in every sense of the word. What happened to them? In high school, when they were in your stage of life, Man, they were saying the memory verses, they were going to church, they were getting involved, they had a big smile on their face, they, they, they answered all the right questions, they behaved, they obeyed their parents, but now they're rejecting everything. They're going their own way. They think Christianity is a joke. What happened? And I think this passage gives us the answer, that they were along for the ride, but they hadn't bought into the message. And so we need to ask ourselves, what makes the difference between them and me. How, what, how do I know that I'm not that? If there's a difference, it has to be at the heart level. It's not the fact that you read their Bible, because they did too. It's not the fact that you go to church, have nice friends, sing in the choir, memorize all your verses. They, they did all those things too. That's not the difference. What describes your heart? A heart that holds the original confidence firm until the end, or heart that, as this, as this warning tells us, always goes astray. An evil, unbelieving heart. Is it possible to be compliant on the outside, but rebellious on the inside? Yeah, that was me a lot in high school. Here's the illustration of a little kid, right, that is told to sit down and they don't want to. And so they say, I'm sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. That's, that's, that's kind of the idea. This is what can happen to us. This is a serious warning. And you're like, man, Aaron, that's not very happy. That's not comforting news. It's not meant to be. This, this passage, if you read through this, it's meant to warn us. It's meant, in fact, it says in, in chapter 4, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. So this is a serious warning. But then he gives us a serious responsibility. In other words, he's like, okay, I, I've scared you. Now what do we do? How do we respond? And there's two instructions that he gives us. 
Um, and, and within each instruction, he gives us the danger of not following these instructions. So within the warning, he gives instructions. And then in those instructions, he gives a warning for not following those instructions. Okay? So the first one is, examine yourself. We find that in verse 12. It says, take care, brothers. Take care means to watch, to examine, to think carefully about. Lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. We're not just left with a warning. We're given a clear instruction. How do we respond to this warning? Watch your own heart. And there's one reason why this instruction is necessary. And that one reason is self-deception. Self-deception. What does Jeremiah 17.9 say? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Is it possible to convince yourself you're okay when you're not okay? Yeah, we do that all the time. And I'm sure that the unbelieving people that came out of Egypt, that saw God's miraculous works, that they had managed to convince themselves that they're okay. Because we're along for the ride. We're eating the manna. We're seeing water from the rock. We see God's power on Mount Sinai. Man, we got to see all that. So we're good. We're fine. And they ignored their own evil, unbelieving heart. But if you know the story of the Old Testament, how often did the children of Israel rebel against God in the wilderness? Like every time, right? God's like, do this. And they're like, well, no, I don't want to do that. They were always complaining. They were always pushing back. They were always rejecting the word of God. They were along for the ride. Man, their hearts were not true to the Lord. Um, John MacArthur says this one, said this one. A contributor to self-deception is a failure of self-examination. That the person who does not examine himself is the person who is most vulnerable to deceiving himself. Does that make sense? Because you are just convincing yourself you're okay. You're not taking a good, hard look at your own life. You're not, you're not sitting alone and examining, what do I believe? Is my heart, is that my heart uh, believing in the Lord? No, you ignore that. And as a result, you deceive yourself into thinking that you're okay. Are you willing to take a good look at your own heart? And if the idea of examining your own heart scares you, then you should probably do it. (laughs) Charles Spurgeon said this once, the man who does not like self-examination may be pretty certain that things need examining. You know, you know why we have so many distractions in this world? Phones, social media, movies, games. That for a lot of us, the idea of just being alone with your own thoughts is really scary. And we don't like that. And we don't like coming face to face with what's in our own hearts. And so we avoid it. We distract ourselves. And the instruction for this warning is, nope, you need to stop and you need to examine yourself. And what exactly are you looking for? When you, when you examine yourself, what are you asking? What are you looking for? Because this can also be a hurtful thing. There's a way that you could examine your heart too much, right? Some of us are so full of worry and fear that that we're always never certain about our own belief and we're always examining and searching deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and there's no benefit from it there's no there's no there's no uh fruit that comes out of it so how what do we do what are we looking for 
One second, Jaden. We'll ask questions a little bit. What do we really, in, in one sense, you're asking yourself, what do I really believe? Do I really believe? And, and, and what might be the evidence that you don't truly believe? Well, Hebrews 3, verse 10 says, they always go astray in their hearts. They have not known my ways. So, so here's some, as you examine yourself, these are some things you're looking for. An unbelieving heart is one that's always going the opposite direction of God's word. You're always going astray. This is different than falling into sin or stumbling, as every Christian does. This isn't saying that you can never fall short. You can never go, you know, sin or disobey. Otherwise, you're not part of his family. This is different. Saying that your whole heart, the bent of your whole heart and life is pushing against the word of God. You are seeking to go your own way. You're always going astray. Like it says, like all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. Which is why the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. That's why we need a savior. And so if we're still acting like a sheep that's going astray, what does that reveal? That we might not have Christ as our Savior. We haven't been transformed. We haven't been made new. The people in the wilderness, they were always grumbling against God. They were always provoking the Lord's anger. They were always seeking to rebel. That was just the, the natural inclination of their heart. Any opportunity they had, they rebelled, they complained, they pushed against the Lord. So instead of a heart following God, are you constantly pushing in the opposite direction? When you read your, God's word, is your heart one that says, yes, Lord, I want to follow you? Or is it one that pushes against what you read in God's word and says, I, I, I want to do something differently? So an unbelieving heart is one that always is going the opposite direction of God's word. And then secondly, an unbelieving heart is one that knows God's word, but doesn't know God's word. And I'll explain what I mean by that. In other words, having a knowledge of God in his word and his word is not the same thing as having a love for God and his word. We saw earlier, they knew, they saw my works. They saw my works, but they didn't know my ways. They, 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 even said they would fully obey the word of God. They said, yes, we'll obey you. We'll follow you. But they had no love for God. They only cared about what God could do for them. They're always complaining. Why doesn't God do more? Why doesn't God do more? Why doesn't God, uh, you know, give us meat instead of manna? So what's, what's in your heart? Are you willing to examine yourself? And what's the consequence of having an evil, unbelieving heart? The consequence is judgment from God. Because those who are without Christ are judged by God. And just as those who died in the wilderness, those who reject Christ will fall away from the living God. So examine yourself. But you may say, okay, but if our heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, how do I know that in my self-examination, I'm not deceiving myself? Is it possible to deceive yourself as you examine yourself? Absolutely. So what's the next commandment that he gives us? Look in verse 13. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We're to exhort each other every day. Not just examine our own selves, but speak into the lives of each other. That's why the church is so important. That's why this group is so important. 
so that we're not isolated and it's not just me and my own heart trying to figure it all out myself. It's us speaking to each other. Exhort means to urge strongly, to encourage. And we're supposed to do this how often? Every day. Every day, constantly. And it says, while it is called today. And when he says, while it's called today, he's actually referring back to verse 7, where he says, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. So when he says, while it's called today, he's saying, while you're hearing his voice, while you still have opportunity, while it's called today, if you, if you've heard his, as you've heard his voice, don't harden your hearts. Exhort each other. Are you looking out for the hearts of each other? This is a command for us to be urging each other to keep looking to Jesus. Because self-examination, looking in our own hearts, if we're doing it biblically, should lead us to Christ. Not to our own merit, not to how good we are, not to how strong my belief is, but pushing us to Christ. In the same way with exhorting each other, we should be pushing each other to Christ. Sin is so sneaky, so subtle, so deceptive. And if your close friend was slowly being deceived by sin, wouldn't you want to urge them back to Jesus? I mean, we all know what peer pressure is, right? In the negative sense. You know, the, 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 the feeling of pressure from others' influence. Right? Everyone else is doing this, and I'm feeling this pressure to really, to really step in line. Well, think of this as a positive, loving peer pressure. If someone's going to drift away from God, don't make it easy for them. Don't just be like, well, I hope they, I hope they figure it out. I hope they turn things around. No, exhort them. Encourage them. Run after them. Don't make it easy for them. We're to exhort each other. How, what are some ways that we can do this? I mean, we don't have to make it too complicated. One thing that you can be doing is be, just be praying for each other. Do you pray for each other? Pray for your friends. Do you tell your friends you're praying for them? And then actually pray for them? Um, that's a whole different story, right? Oh, I'll be praying for you. Right. One, one practice I had to get into real quick. This is kind of cheating. It's not really the, the best thing. One thing, you know, I, like I'd say, I pray for you. And I'm like, okay, let me say a quick prayer real quick. So that I can say that I actually prayed for him. Like right there. You know, I was like, I'll pray for you. Okay, help them, Lord. Okay. Yes, I prayed for him. No, that's not the idea here, right? You're not just covering your own bases. You are, you are seeking to pray for them and to, and to bring them before the Lord. Encourage each other. I mean, I mean, do you ever encourage your friends in Christ? Um, one helpful thing, maybe, you know, ask, ask questions that prompt them to examine themselves. You know, if, if you do have a friend who's struggling... That's, that's, going, that's, that's along for the ride but hasn't bought into the message, ask them questions that, that prompt that self-examination. Like, do you think it's, it's worth doing? Do you think this might end badly? How does this line up with, with what you know the Word of God says? Are you, do you get a sense of how serious this is? Ask those questions. Encourage each other. Even be willing to confront each other if necessary. We're called as a church to be a church that speaks into each other's lives. It's not just the teachers, the pastors speaking into the lives of the people in the pew. It's every member teaching and, and speaking into the lives of each other. Show through your example that there's joy in serving Jesus. Exhort one another every day 
while it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. It can be a really sobering reality to think that, there's, that one of your friends could be slowly being deceived by sin, and you're right there. You have a, a relationship with them. You have an opportunity to encourage them to be there for them, and you're just letting it happen. You're just letting, letting them drift. And you can, maybe you hope that they get things figured out, and you're like, well, yeah, okay. I hope they, I hope they come back around. But are, have you exhorted them? Have you, it doesn't have to be profound. It doesn't have to be this lofty speech or a list of Bible verses. It's just, are, are you there for them? Are you talking to them? Are you encouraging them? Are you asking them questions? Are you, are you listening to them to, to hear where their heart is? Exhort each other every day. I think it's interesting how he says every day. Because it's almost like he's implying that it only takes a day for you to be deceived by sin. <laughs> right? It's not like you can say, well, okay, I, I, I was encouraged, I, I've, I've read God's word, I'm, I'm thinking on truth, so I'm good for the next few, few days or the week. No, it, man, sin is so subtle, it, can, it deceives quickly. We need to be constantly encouraging and exhorting each other because of sin's deceitfulness. So this whole warning passage... Look at your hearts that you're, so that you're not like those people in the wilderness that saw his works but didn't know his ways. In other words, it's saying, look, in, look inwardly to see, have I embraced Christ? A heart that knows Jesus is a heart that is transformed and therefore continues with Jesus. That's the kind of heart that Jesus creates in you when he saves you. Do you have that heart? And we've talked about doubts. We've talked about genuine Christians, believers having doubts, or genuine Christians having struggles. And then that's all part of Christian growth, right? It's progressive. It takes time. But, but have you, as you look at your own heart, have you bought into the message of Christ? Or are you just along for the ride? Are you just playing church? Are you blending in? If so, it's time to examine yourself and ask some hard questions. And I hope that if you do this, for some of you, looking inwardly and, and, and examining yourself ends up being an encouraging thing. As you go back to the basics and you say, yes, I know that it's my, my only hope is Christ. And I need to embrace him. And I do believe that he died for me. And I'm embracing that. Man, I'm sinning and I'm messing up. And, and I know I've got struggles that I'm trying to figure out. But, but my only hope is Jesus. Right? If, that's, if that's where your mind goes as you look at, in, at your own heart, That's the exact place it needs to go. Not to your own works, not to your own abilities, but to Christ. But as you look inwardly, if you're like, you know what, I really could care less about Jesus. I I mean, honestly, I just, I do it because it's what people do here. I do it because it's what my family does. And if so, you're along for the ride, but you haven't bought into the message. And so it's time to look. It's time to, to ask those questions. Examine and encourage each other. Examine your heart. Encourage each other to cling to Christ. Because Jesus is greater than anything. He's worth more than anything. And if we look to him, we'll see that our own sin isn't worth it. All right? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for um, giving us sobering passages in the word of God um, that keep us from being 
stagnant or careless or casual in our walks with you. Lord, we all know the tendency of just being along for the ride, but not buying into the message. Lord, if, if anyone here is, even now, as they're looking inwardly, they think about their own heart, they're, they're, they're starting to conclude, you know what, I don't think I've actually bought into it. I'm just going through the motions. I'm just enjoying the benefits of being part of this crowd without accepting the gospel for myself. Lord, help them see that that your, 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 your gift of salvation is free and available. And all they have to do is just embrace it and embrace Christ. Just like in the wilderness, when, when the plague was being spread and, and Moses put the serpent on the pole, it says anyone who looks to the serpent will be healed and live. And in the same way, you sent your son to be lifted up on a cross so that all who look to him will be healed and live. And if there's anyone here that has an, has an unbelieving heart that's going astray, that's pushing against you, that you might show them your son, they might look to you and be saved. And Lord, for those that here that, that, that know that they belong to you, that they are your house, that they are part of your family, Lord, help them to be encouragers, exhorters, to keep others looking to you. Lord, that we would not allow any one of us to just drift without being um, loved and, and served by their, their fellow believers. Lord, that we would reach out, that we would show love and encouragement to those who are struggling so that we might all be a united, a unified body of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.